pure in heart in the sermon series, The Sermon on the Mount, spoken by Pastor Peter on. The question I have for you this morning is this. When was the last time God revealed himself to you? When was the last time you actually saw God? When was the last time Jesus Christ revealed himself to you? The Holy Spirit literally spoke something to you and you heard it and you felt it and you saw it. A lot of us, I think, we don't take seriously that God speaks to us, that he speaks to us all the time and that what God desires for you and for me is for us to have a single-minded focus to position our lives in a way where we can hear from him, where God can reveal himself to us. It's one of the greatest gifts that he's given to us, that our God wants to reveal himself to you and to me. Now, I know for some of us, we believe that perhaps maybe God only reveals himself to the super spiritual people. We have people that we believe, like perhaps pastors, certain spiritual leaders and authors and maybe elders of the church. And we think perhaps maybe God won't really speak to me, but for those people God speaks to. That's a very dangerous line of thinking because that's not what we find in the Bible. God speak to, speaks to anyone. And his desire is that if you believe in him, he wants to reveal himself to you. And that's the text that you and I have to wrestle with today. The sixth beatitude, Jesus says, Blessed are the, pu- are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. God. We know the word blessed means supremely happy in the Greek. I love David Hosang, Dr. David Hosang. He says it also means divinely favored one. Why are you supremely happy? Because Metro, if you say you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been divinely chosen by our God. And we are truly in that state. Why? Because God reveals himself to us. And so today what I want to do I want to define what does clean heart mean or pure heart? What does pure heart mean? And how do we get there so that we can begin to position our lives in such a way where we can see God, where God can reveal himself to us. God has every desire to reveal himself to us and he would never deny us of that request. What does it mean to be pure in heart? And how do we see God? How do we get there so we can see God? That's what I want to talk to you about today. So if we could just bow our heads for a moment of prayer. God, I ask that you would just come and speak right now. I pray that you would enter into every one of the homes that are watching. And that even though we're doing this virtually, God, you are a God of supernatural powers. I pray that you would enter into every home and that you would speak and that you would reveal yourself to each and every one of us today. I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts watching, listening, would be pleasing unto you today. It is in your name that we pray, and all of God's people said, amen, amen. I want, to turn, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 17, all right? Because here it is. You and I will go to a dangerous path of life when we position ourselves to a place where we don't encounter God revealing himself to us. It's amazing that there's so many Christians that will go on living their lives and saying that they're followers of Jesus, and yet they really don't know a time in their life where God's really revealed himself to you. That's a dangerous place to be. Here's why. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. This is the story when Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. All right, let's take a look at this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? 
Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon. Remember that word blessed. You are blessed, the same word. You are supremely happy. You are divinely chosen one. Why, son, uh, Simon, son of John? Because my father has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. When God reveals himself to us, again, Jesus confirms we are supremely blessed. We are supremely happy. Now, if you go a few verses down, something crazy happens. Jesus says, you are Peter and on this rock, you know, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. The church will never be overcome because, you, because of you. And look what he says in verse 22. Because Jesus now goes to his disciples and says, well, now that you know that I'm the Messiah, I'm, Messiah, I'm going to have to die. And look what Peter says in verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are, you are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God. Peter knew that Jesus was the Messiah. That was a revelation which God had given to him. But now his understanding of the role of the Messiah was, ex was extremely human. Because Peter was a good Jew, and a good Jew knew that the Messiah was more of a political figure that came and entered into the world, and he would destroy the Roman government so that Israel could be the world power again, that Israel's kingdom could be established. That was their picture of what the Messiah would do and be, and that was the picture that Peter had. And so when he declared Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus gives him the great accolade, says, you, God revealed this to you, so you are blessed, Simon. You are supremely happy. And then when Jesus goes further to expound what the role of the Messiah is supposed to do, he gets rebuked. And what does Jesus say to him? He calls him Satan, and he says, you're Satan because you are leaning on your own human understanding. This is really important. The reason why that you and I have to position ourselves in a place where God reveals himself to us is because when God doesn't reveal himself to us, what we do is we lean on our own human standing, and when we lean on our own human standing, you know what happens? Satan has an incredible opportunity to enter into our human thoughts. In fact, I would say the genesis of how Satan enters into our minds and into our hearts is through our human understanding. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, this season has been difficult for so many of us. Many of us have struggled during this pandemic. We've lost so much during this pandemic. We've entered into very dark paths of life as a result of this pandemic. We have fallen into addictive patterns of sinful behavior, whether it be alcohol, drugs, pornography, things like that. Some of us have been abused. Some of us are the abusers, physically, sexually, emotionally. Some of us now are su suffering from anxiety, depression, suicide ideation. I mean, it's tough. When you and I revert to our own human understanding, that is the genesis, the foundation, and how Satan will often enter in and take control of our lives. And that's why you cannot follow God just with your mere human understandings. You have to follow God so that he can reveal himself to you. Because when that supernatural thing happens, when God reveals himself to you, something beautiful begins to happen in your life and in my life. Think about what happened back in the day in Nazism. Did you know that Hitler came to power because of the church? If you study history, you know that it was the Lutheran church that supported Nazism. 
Why? You would think, well, how could they do that? Listen, when you and I enter into a relationship with God, with just our human understanding, there is nothing that we are not capable of. We are capable of anything, even killing millions of innocent lives. Slavery, as we celebrate Black History Month, so you see slavery even in the Bible. Trust me, that was not God's intention. Slavery and the reduction of the Imago Dei in human beings based upon the color of their skin or where they're from is not affirming of the Imago Dei. And as a result, what happens to human beings when they're left to living their lives with their own human understanding? Racism, ethnic oppression happens, slavery happens, and Christians are the ones who support and created those movements. I want you to understand something, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, we run a very dangerous path when we are just leaning on our own human standing, understanding of God. Jesus says that we have to position ourselves in a way where God can reveal himself to you, because when God reveals himself to you, it's powerful, the encounter is real, and you and I will begin to hear and learn how better we can begin to live this life for God. It is that human, inter it is that supernatural interaction that God will allow us to encounter with him. Many of us, a lot of us, as a result of us leaning on our own human understanding, you know what we've done? We live off the spiritualities of other people. Many of you have a secondhand spiritual faith. It's used spiritual faith. It's not your faith. So you live off the spiritualities of maybe a pastor, you listen to sermons, some of you read books, you go to conferences, listen, all good things, but they should always be supplemental to your primary relationship with God. God should be revealing himself to you regularly. You should be able to connect with God in that way. And the other things like maybe listening to a sermon, reading a book, attending a conference, that should be supplementary, not primary to your spiritual growth. Do you hear me on this? And I hope and pray that you would. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will hear, see God. What does it mean to be pure in heart then? What does that word or that phrase pure in heart mean? If you translate it in the Greek, it literally means utter sincerity. Utter sincerity. If you want to be pure in heart, it's really about focusing on the inner core of a person. People who are utterly sincere are people who are free from living a life of falsehood. Meaning they are the same they are in private than they are in public. You don't put on different masks for different situations in your life. You are who you are in private. You are who you are in public. Those are people who are pure in heart. They are utterly sincere. It really is amazing. These are people who pursue a relationship with God, not to get from God, but just to give to him. These are people who enter into relationships with other people, not saying, what can I get from you? They enter into these relationships so that they can continue to grow and love like Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Faith in God isn't about what God can give to us. We don't pursue God for an insurance package to go to heaven when we die. We pursue him because he is our king. We are his servants and we follow the orders of our king. Because this king doesn't just give us orders, but this king loves us and died for us on the cross. And so how, so how do we do that? How do we begin to get to a place where we can have that pure heart to be utterly sincere? The first thing is this. In order for us to have a pure heart, we have to learn to be loyal to God. You and I have to learn to be loyal to God. Now, I know that there are so many things that compete for our loyalty. Every day. Good things like family. Good things like parents, spouse, children, your job, friends, different things like that. Some of you are loyal to brands like Apple, iPhones. 
like really loyal. Like you will never think about buying another, comp- another brand because you're so loyal. Some of you are so loyal to sports teams that are terrible. Like the Jets, the Nets, anything with an E-T, S, all right? I mean, the Nets, they haven't won either a championship. You may think they might because they got the big three now, but we don't know that. Anything with the ETS, you're so loyal to them. It doesn't matter how much they lose. You know what it means to be loyal. You know what it means to be faithful. And if you want to have a pure heart, what Jesus is saying here is this. Your loyalty to God must never be rivaled by anything else. And please understand that when you have that kind of loyalty to God, everything else is blessed below it. Just because you're loyal to God doesn't mean now you're going to have a broken marriage, a broken family, you're going to be unemployed, all of those things. I'm telling you, when you are loyal to God, there is a blessing and God will bless you with everything else. Even while you suffer on earth, God will give you strength to endure this season. It's this idea of being loyal to God. Psalms 51.10, it says this. David says, create in me a clean heart. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. We have to pray regularly that we would have a loyal spirit to God. Listen, I know that all of you expect God to be loyal to you. You expect God to be faithful to you. I get it. You pray for certain things and you expect God to be faithful to you. Have you ever thought about what God expects of you? God wants you to be loyal to him too. He wants you to be faithful to him in every way. How do we do that? How can we truly grow in our loyalty to God? It's really one thing. Obedience. You don't obey God so that he can accept you. No, God has already accepted you. You obey him because he has accepted you. You live your life to obey God. And when you begin to obey God in so many different ways, even the little things in life, God will begin to reveal himself to you. And you'll be able to obey those things. And then more and so and more so what begins to happen is God will begin to show himself to you more more regularly in your life. Hear me on this. When God reveals himself to you and you don't obey, over time what that does is that it just causes us to ignore God over time. And many times you won't even hear him even if he is speaking to you. He could be speaking to you to a megaphone and you won't even hear him. You won't even see that God is revealing himself to you because you've conditioned yourself to ignore God. And when that happens, you just lean on your own human understanding and you put yourself in an extremely precarious situation. We have to be loyal to God. Several months ago, just during my times of prayer, God started to bring this pastor, this young pastor into my heart. Now, I've never really met this pastor face to face. He's a pastor locally in this area. He's young, much younger than I am. He just placed him in my heart. And I just thought, that's kind of weird. And here's what God was placing in my heart. He said, Peter, I want you to mentor this pastor. And I just thought that was just weird. I mean, what am I going to do? Am I going to send him an email, call him, and say, listen, God told me I have to mentor you. I mean, it sounds a little presumptuous, don't you think? So I was wrestling with God about that. I was like, God, really? Like, I got to email this guy and like, say, God kind of is telling me to mentor you? I think he's going to think I'm crazy. So I just put it off for a few weeks, few months. And God just kept bringing him into my mind. And so I did it. I finally sent him an email and I said, listen, this might be the craziest thing, the craziest idea you've ever heard. And I wouldn't blame you if you think I'm crazy. But I've been praying and God's been putting you in my heart like all the time. And he's telling me that I need to mentor you. Now, if you think I'm crazy, just say it and I'm out of here. And I don't disagree with you. 
But if this is resonating with you, let me know. I sent that email, and in less than an hour, he replied back to that email, and he said to me, he said, I can't believe this. God has been telling me that I need to reach out to you so that you can mentor me, but I couldn't do it because I was too afraid to ask. And he said, I would love for you to mentor me. And that was just a real cool thing that happened. So we've been meeting for about four months now, and every time we connect, because Jesus says when two or more are gathered in my name, he will be there. God reveals himself to us, and it's a beautiful thing. And I'm so grateful for this relationship, and I know he's grateful for that relationship, but I just thought, what would have happened if I just began to ignore the voice of God as God reveals himself to me through prayer? Here's what would have happened. Over time, if I, didn't, if I never reached out to this pastor, God would reveal himself to me in other ways, and I would just keep ignoring him, keep ignoring him. Before you know it, I would start to build a tolerance for ignoring God and never acting on anything that he wants me to do. And as a result of that, what would happen is that I would begin to build this thing where I would begin to ignore God all the time. And I would lean on my own human understanding and I would put myself in a very dangerous position. We need to be loyal to God. Live your life in obedience. When God reveals himself to you, do it. Because the revelation becomes even greater when you do. Second and last thing, we have a pure heart when we choose to live a vulnerable life. You and I have a pure heart when we choose to live a vulnerable life. Listen, you cannot be utterly sincere if you're not vulnerable. And if you're not vulnerable, here's the thing. If you're not living a life of vulnerability, um, you're living your life in secret. And when you're living your life in secret, you are opening yourself up to your own human understanding, which then Satan comes in, and the way Peter was rebuked by Satan... Satan has a way of destroying our lives when that happens. Being vulnerable is living your life with no secrets. Being vulnerable is that there's somebody in this world that knows everything about you, the darkest areas to your humanity, your humanity. I call these people soulmates. You know that. You need to find a soulmate, one to three people or so. Do life with where you can do a life confession, where you can confess your sins regularly, regularly to that person so that person can speak truth into your life, encourage you, rebuke you. You can grow, and they do the same with you. That is a soulmate. And when we choose not to live our lives that way, we're not going to be utterly sincere and God won't be able to reveal himself to us. We're not going to be able to see God. Why? Because in the end of the day, we continue to let shame ruin our lives. You see, the reason why shame is so destructive is because it reminds us that we are lesser than, that we're not good enough. It doesn't just remind us that we're capable of making mistakes. Shame tells us that we are the mistake. And I love what Kurt Thompson says in his book, The Soul of Shame. He says the only antidote, the only cure to shame is to be vulnerable. Because if you and I are not willing to be vulnerable, we will continue to hustle for our own worthiness. And so can I ask you, how come you haven't done this yet? You hear us talk about this all the time. Human community is so integral for your own spiritual life and well-being. Will you open yourself up? Will you choose to live a life of vulnerability? Because when you do that, God will reveal himself to you in such an amazing, beautiful way. Now listen, I think sometimes when we think of soulmates, we think, oh wow, well, that's a beautiful thing to have and to be. To be a soulmate is not easy. It's hard work. Because you are committing yourself to journeying through the doldrums of somebody else's life. Basically, a soulmate is this. My soulmates is this. I ain't letting you go down without a fight. I will be there fighting with you. I will put on my armor, and we will go to war together because you ain't going down without me. If you're going to go down, I'm going to go down with you. That's what a soulmate does. That's, that's why there's such a pivotal part to our own spiritual journey because you and I cannot survive life by ourselves, just with God. That is leaning on our own human understanding. 
And that's a dangerous place for us to be. We need to invite some people to be our soulmates. Now, some of you say, well, you know, I had one before, but he or she failed me. I had one too, and he failed me. But for me, I realize that if I don't have a soulmate, I am not going to be able to survive. I wouldn't be in ministry this long without my soulmates. And so I want to encourage you to please find a soulmate, pray for one, pursue and be active, be proactive so that you can begin to live in a relationship where you are fully known and shame does not take over and you never see yourself as lesser than. You see yourself worthy of God's love and his grace, worthy of being his servant and going and living radically and passionately from about a week ago or so, a week and a half ago, um, during my prayer time, God gave me a question uh, to ask at the dinner table. And the question is simply this. What brings you the most fear? And so we got together, you know, my, my three kids, Christina, Christian, and Kayla. Uh, they're all older now. Christina's 19, uh, Kayla's 16, and Christian is 15, and my wife. And I just said, hey, guys, let's answer this question. Think about it for a day, and then let's come together, and you can answer this question. We can answer it together as a family. And so I said, the question is simply this. What brings you the most fear in your life? And my kids were like, Dad, come on. I don't want to answer that. Like, come on. Why do you got to do this to us? Just think about it for a day. Come back, and let's share as a family. Mom and dad will go first to set the example. So we did. The next day we got together for dinner and I said, okay, let's do it. So Jenny went first, my wife, and she said that the greatest fear that she has is living outside of her comfort zone. She loves comfort. She doesn't like to be stretched. And she said that she feels that God's leading her to live more outside of her comfort. And that was really great for her to have to share that with our group. And then it was my turn. And so I share that my greatest fear actually is being disloyal to God, of not obeying him. And I sort of explained that. I said, right now, I believe I have, like, the best life. I've got the best job in the world. Pastoring, in my opinion, the best church anyone could pastor in. It's a dream job. I said, I love all you guys. I love being close to you. I love that we can live in the same house. I said, my greatest fear is that maybe God one day might call me to leave this area, maybe move to another part of the world, and I won't do it because I don't want to lose my dream job, and I don't want to be far away from you guys. That's my greatest fear. My daughter, Christina, she's 19. She shared and she said, my greatest fear is what people think of me. She said, I really care about people's opinion of me. I long for their approval. And I looked at her and I said, that's my fault. You get that one from me. You inherited that from me. That's kind of how I am. And I share with her uh, just that it's okay, though. Like, as long as you can find your true identity in God, that's not a bad thing all the time. Because God can use that for you to be more intuitive and for you to connect better with people. God could use that as a gift where you can start gathering people even more so because you are sensitive to their feelings. It's not a bad thing all the time. Kayla opened up and she shared and she said her greatest fear, she's a junior in high school. She's thinking about college a lot, <laughs> SATs, you name it. She said her greatest fear is to disappoint herself and her parent, me and my wife, of not getting into a good college. And we just looked at her and we said, Kayla, it doesn't matter where you go. You can go to a junior college. Like for us, you will never disappoint us because we know how hard you work. It got emotional when she, when she shared that and when we shared that with her. And then my son, Christian, I just think, all right, what is this 15-year-old knucklehead going to say? I just thought, I, I don't know what he's going to say. Like, you know, I just like, does he really think deep about these questions? I thought maybe he was going to say, like, his greatest fear is bees because he's afraid. of. When he sees a bee, I mean, the guy could beat Usain Bolt in a race. I mean, the guy just runs the other way. 
I was thinking like maybe he's going to say his greatest fear is not eating McDonald's for a month. And I was blown away by his answer. He said, my greatest fear are two things. Number one, it's demons. He said, I'm afraid of demons, Dad. And so I had an opportunity just to share with him that you don't have to be because you have Jesus that lives inside of you. You have greater authority than any demon. You can actually say, in Jesus' name, do this, and they will have to listen because you have the authority of Jesus. You never have to be afraid of demons. And then he said this, which still today gets me. He said, Dad, my greatest fear is that when I become an adult, I'm no longer a Christian anymore. That's my greatest fear. My greatest fear is walking away from my faith in God. And I said to him, I said, well, that's never going to happen. That's why we named you Christian. You'll always be called Christian. No, I didn't say that. I know it's a bad joke. It's a bad joke. But anyway, I was blown away that he said that. I really was. And I looked at him and I said, do you know how blessed you are to be wrestling with this right now at your age? The fact that you are afraid that you might not follow God when you become an adult says that you're actually caring about this. That you want to continue to have this pure heart. And I said to him, I said, you are right now on the precipice here because you inherited your faith from your mom and your dad. And now you're in this, in this place in your life now where you are trying to take ownership of your faith. I said, Christian, that is a good thing. Keep fighting. Keep trying to take ownership of your faith. And God will show himself strong in your life. That evening at the dinner table, God revealed himself to us. It was powerful. And here's what I learned. Here's what I learned about that. Sometimes we think like God will speak to us in prayer and, and that's his re revealing and now we got to do it, we got to execute. And I think that's right. God does speak to us. He reveals himself to us in prayer. But I really think the true revelation of God doesn't happen until we listen and obey what he's telling us to do. And then we do it and then we see God do something that just blows us away. I had no idea that we were going to have that kind of evening at the dinner table. We were literally in heaven. We cried together. We laughed together. We prayed together. There's something about vulnerability that allows you to connect not only with God, but connect through God through his people. Do you want to see God today? Blessed are the pure in heart, for you will see God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. God, we come to you right now. And I know this is not easy for us because so many of us have lived our Christian lives leaning on our own human understanding. And God has brought us to such a deep, dark place. And I know, God, some of us have thought about leaving their faith in you because we've leaned on our own human understanding. God, I ask you right now, I pray, I pray, I plead with you that you would reveal yourself to your children today who are longing for that right now that they will begin to take the baby steps of having a pure heart by committing their loyalty to you, by choosing to live a lifestyle of vulnerability so they can grow in utter sincerity, which is the definition of pure in heart. And so, God, I pray that you'll just be with our church. And even now, I pray that you would really speak to our community and that you would reveal yourself to us as a church. It is in your name that I pray. Amen.
There's some next steps that I want you to take. So please, if you have your communication card, go there. And then I've asked Catrice if she can extend the worship a little bit longer this week. Because I really felt like I want to give you an opportunity to connect with God so that God can reveal himself to you in worship, okay? Or through the virtual prayer. But let's just go to the next steps. First, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that, you want to take that step, please check that off. And we will get back to you this week. Second, I will be vulnerable and confess an area of my life that I struggle to be loyal to God. You'll be vulnerable with someone. Share with that person an area that you really struggle to be loyal to God in. It's about confession. Third, I will pray that God would bring me a soulmate. Some of you really have to pray, but when you pray, you got to act. Don't just pray. God's not going to just drop somebody off from heaven. It's just going to fall on your couch. you got to be intentional. Be intentional. Pray, but keep your eyes open, all right? Four, I will pray every day this week. Jesus, please help me to understand sin the way you do so that I do not live in it anymore. It's the prayer I taught you last week. It's a game changer prayer, in my opinion. All right? Pray, Jesus, help me to understand sin the way you do so I do not live in sin anymore. And then last, I will receive virtual prayer today.